Hello, this is Courtney Act. I am at the National Gallery of Victoria here in Melbourne because I am going to see the queer exhibition. Um, excuse me, can you tell me which way to the queer exhibition? You can take the elevator up to level three. Thank you. Welcome to the NGV's Queer Podcast. I'm Courtney Act. To start with, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional owners of the land on which the exhibition and podcast takes place. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. The exhibition explores the NGV collection through a queer lens. It approaches queer not only as an expression of identity, but as a framework to understand sensibilities and aesthetics approaches, political and theoretical perspectives and communities. The word queer has been reclaimed by LGBTQ plus people in recent years and uh, the exhibition title, I guess, seeks to interrogate the history and trauma of the word and its reclamation. The Queer Exhibition features artworks from antiquity until the present day and it features artists from all around the world. It includes over 400 works by artists who identify as queer, artists who lived in times when such identification wasn't possible, and also works not by queer artists but with a connection to queer histories. This exhibition will be the most comprehensive thematic presentation of artworks relating to queer stories ever presented in an Australian art institution. It's pretty major. And in this episode, I'm super excited to be talking to Dylan Mooney. He is a Tui man from Mackay, Queensland, Torres Strait Islander from Arab, and an Australian-born South Sea Islander. His art is so vibrant and so colourful. His practices include digital illustration, drawing, printmaking, and street art inspired by history, culture, family, and community stories. I um, fell in love with Dylan's art over on the Instagram. Um, and I've continued to follow him and just watch his journey. He's, he's had a, a really wonderful 12 months in recognition of his work, well-deserved recognition. Dylan uses his practices to share stories about what it's like to be queer, young, and an Indigenous person today in Australia. But before we get into our conversation with Dylan, I am going to have a chat with Miles Russell-Cook, who is the Senior Curator of Indigenous Art here at the NGV. I am sitting down with Miles Russell Cook, who is the Senior Curator, Indigenous Art, here at the National Gallery of Victoria. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I'm excited to get into this because today we are talking about love, queer love. Um, and we've got these themes in this podcast, queer strategies, queer sensibility, celebration and memory, community and activism. And this one, we're focusing in on love. Um, what does queer love mean? Well, that's a very good question. And I think ultimately the entire exhibition, Queer, is about love. Mm. I mean, that's the thing that I think is so central to all works within the show is love and expressions of love and the way that love informs queer people's lives and our futures and our pasts. Um, I, before I kind of came to sit down with you to 
do this recording, I thought, I'm just going to look up. We've done a catalogue for the for the show, which is a nearly 400-page wow. book. And I looked it up and I thought, I'll do a, just a search for how many times the word love appears in the book. And it appears 220 times, yeah. which is um, more than once for every two pages. Yeah, wow. And I thought, if that doesn't tell you something that is so key and so important to understanding queer stories and queer experiences um, and humanising them, then I don't know what does. Yeah. And I guess if you think about um, minority communities, we think about like oppression and activism and um, and all of those sorts of, uh, I guess, you know, the shadow of the identity. But love um, is really one of those core tenants, I would hope, of humanity, but for the queer community so important and the many ways it manifests, whether that be love for oneself, love for others, for family, for community, for art. Um, and we're going to be looking through a few pieces that are on display in this queer exhibition. The first one here is by Clinton Nayner and it's Mission Brown Heart. Tell me a little bit about this piece. Well, this is, um, this is one of my favourite paintings in, well, I don't know if curators are allowed to have favourites, but let's just <laughs> A few say, of the curators have said that today. Right, maybe we can't <laughs> help ourselves. Um, it's one of my favourite paintings in the collection and possibly in the world. And it's, as you can see, this incredibly graphic, minimal brown heart with these drips falling down the canvas, painted onto this dusty pink background. And... Clinton, as an artist, is someone who is very interested at exploring history, mm -hmm. at exploring the experience um, that Aboriginal people have had post the invasion of the British. Um, and in this, in this work, he's really exploring a very, um, very difficult aspect of Australia's history, which is the missionisation of Aboriginal people following the arrival of the British. So... Aboriginal people were dispossessed from traditional lands and waterways, were uh, rounded up and placed onto missions and reserves where life was sedentary and where they were fundamentally disconnected from culture and from language and kind of forced to live under a Christian doctrine which erased countless generations' worth of cultural and spiritual connections to place, not to mention, you know, the language that was lost and the, the family um, dynamics that were also completely devastated. And in this work, Clinton is drawing attention to that history of erasure, but in particular, he's highlighting the erasure of same-sex love and of queer love. And mm. Clinton um, themselves identifies as a queer person and to have this work highlighting everything that was lost. And that's, I think, such a kind of key part of this story is that for a lot of the First Nations content within this exhibition, it's about contemporary artists today who are First Nation making work about the experience of being queer and First Nations, but also in many instances where the colonial project has successfully erased history and, and love and past, it's also about drawing attention to that erasure. And mm -hmm. I think this is done incredibly powerfully and incredibly simply. And I'm really excited because um, I've been a fan of Dylan Mooney's work 
through the Instagram mm-hmm. for a while. <laughs> and Dylan's a great example of someone who showcases queer black love through their art. And I'm going to be talking to Dylan a little bit later. And I'm very excited because I know that we're going to be looking at one of his mm. pieces, which I've only seen in digital form. Um, but another image that I want to look at is uh, Agnes Good's uh, The Letter. Tell me about this one. Well, this is um, this is a very important story. And I think something when we are talking about love is understanding love in its many different um, ways that, you know, the ways that people love. There is sexual love and there's intimacy and there's family love. And, that you know, love is, is as undefinable as a word like queer is, mm. you know. It, it's, it has every um, – it covers so much of the human condition. And this work by Agnes Goodsir is a, a portrait painted of her lover, um, Rachel Dunn, who she knew as Cherry, uh, and it was painted when they were living in France, um, in Paris. And at the time, it was an extraordinarily progressive society that they were living in. And um, What time are we in? What so era? this is the, in the 20s. Okay. Um, and she was really painting in this, uh, what you know, a lot of um, critics at the time thought was quite a traditional or conservative style, but the incredible progressive nature of her subject to be painting these intimate and beautiful portraits of her lover with whom she lived openly as a as a gay woman mm. uh, at this time is extraordinary and you know the w- work was very well received as well um, but to understand that extraordinary um, progressiveness and to sense the intimacy in the work it's something that you know, you can feel this is over a hundred years ago, and yet you can feel that by still looking at this, you can feel the love. Is um, was that a common experience for other people living in Paris at that time? Well, yeah, I mean, Paris was a very progressive city at the time, and certainly um, where they were living in the Latin Quarter, there was amazing freedom and possibility for queer women that wasn't afforded in other places in the world. Um, following the the death of Agnes Goodsir, her partner. Cherry, um, perhaps understanding the um, risks that a, a queer woman's archive of material would have in Europe at that time, because we're we're just before the war mm. and things are changing, um, sent all of her paintings back to Australia, where they were sent to her family. She's and, an Australian artist. Yes, yes. Oh, sorry, wow. I should have probably mentioned that. That's, no, um, I'm just trying to picture, like, an Australian artist getting on a ship. In the right. 19, whenever she went so over she, there? Yeah, she moved there. I think it was in 1921. Um, and her, her portraits received extraordinary acclaim across both Europe and Australia. But she once described herself as saying that there's, there's nothing Australian about her art. It is entirely French. Mm. And I think part of that was about drawing attention to the, like I say, the, the, the progressive nature of her subject mm. and... Um, and of her life and the, the extraordinary freedom that she felt. And I love that Cherry had this foresight to to ship her work back to Australia. Absolutely. She was the sole beneficiary of the estate when she passed away. And um, Did she know. have, what sort of level of acclaim did Agnes have at the time? Oh, she, she was incredibly, away? incredibly well um, respected mm-hmm. and quite prolific in the amount that she painted. But after sending, you know, after she passed away and her um, material was all sent back to Australia, that uh, she sort of 
disappeared into, um, you know, it wasn't really until this fantastic exhibition at the time, it was at Bendigo Art Gallery, that she was kind of revived as such a key and important uh, artist mm. of the 20s. Um, and, you know, often people would as they do, have this tendency to erase uh, a queer woman's, um, I guess, agency. And so for, you know, many years, her partner, Sherry, despite living an out life, you know, at the time, and uh, so many of these portraits showing this incredible domestic bliss that they were living in. And, you know, when she died in 1950, Sherry was was buried at Agnes's side. Mm. Yet we've still obviously had, as is the case, decades of people referring to these good friends mm. as they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, shall we go and have a look at this Robert Indiana piece? Love. So this piece is called Love. And I've I've seen this before. People would recognise this Absolutely. image. Absolutely. You would most definitely have seen this. I would personally describe this as probably one of the best-known pieces of public sculpture in the world, mm. but also one of the best-known um, kind of examples of contemporary art and design. It's so Robert Indiana did the sculpture as well? Robert Indiana did... It's sort of loosely referred to as the Love Project, and it, um, this is... The work we're looking at now is a screen print from 1965, but it was actually in 1962 that he first started working with love and developing this love project uh, when he was commissioned by Larry Aldrich, who's a fashion designer and an art collector, to create a work for a Christian scientist church that he was turning into a museum. Um, and then a few years later, in 1966, he had this extraordinary exhibition where he presented eight of these love paintings. And since then, the image has really become a bit of a, a global phenomenon. So the image we're looking at, Love, by Robert Indiana, um, I think most people will be familiar with this. It's the L-O-V-E where the L and the O are on the top line and the V and the E are on the bottom line and uh, the O is on a slant. Now this one, the, the letters are in red and uh, the, the spaces in between are in green and blue. And actually it, it almost hurts my eyes to look at <laughs> because the, the colours just jump off the page and, and really sort of contrast and almost like... Uh, like strobe your eyes a little bit just mm. to look at it the colors are i mean they're extraordinary robert indiana was um quite fascinated with and interested in the power of color and so the color palette for this particular work is actually drawn from a memory of his so his father worked for what was called philip 66 gas company and he kind of would recall the memory of the uniforms that his um, father and their staff would work at the gas company. And it was this red and green uniform. And he remembers distinctly looking at this uniform uh, with a backdrop of this incredible Indiana blue sky. And so that's inspired the, the colour choices in this work. But quite, um, you know, as you say, the way that, that he's stacked the letters, so they... Um, L-O-V-E in this square and then just the off tilting of the O to create this incredible almost perfect square and it's just become such a prolific image that has absolutely toured around 
the world, you know, became, um, I think, in the 60s and the 70s in a lot of ways, this idea of love, it resonated with youth, counterculture, revolution, and it became this sort of symbol of progressive movement for free sex and free love, and it was on key rings and t-shirts and sculptures and you know tote bags and it's become this quite um extraordinary talisman almost um for this for this way of of just desiring a better world a world where love is love so this item as well is very tiny it's uh, about the size of a greeting card um and now i'm excited to go and have a look at dylan mooney's work because you have told me that seeing it in real life is uh, something to behold, the, the scale of it, something that's really quite big. Absolutely. So Let's shall we toddle over to Dylan's? Putting the rubber gloves on. They're quite a magnificent colour, the rubber gloves. <laughs> what would you call that, turquoise? Yeah, <laughs> teal. It's such a beautiful image. This is, you know, one that's come across my Instagram feed and I was like, oh, who is this? Mm. What, what? And follow Dylan and and sort of love looking at all of his stuff. I didn't know that it um, that his work was digital. Yeah, yeah. So he's both an illustrator as well as a painter, uh, but he's probably most well known for working digitally. This particular image that we're looking at here, which is titled Our Moment, was actually shared by the Instagram official account. Mm. So Dylan's had a pretty extraordinary um 12 months with front cover of Rolling Stone magazine features kind of left, right and centre. But this this work, when it was shared by Instagram official, I don't know how many followers Instagram official has, but it's something completely absurd, like 400 million, I don't mm -hmm. know. And just to, to think about what that means, I guess, um, to have this expression of queer, young, black love reaching so far around the world. Mm. Um, it's it's beautiful and it was um, met with you know this incredible um, sort of waterfall of rainbow emojis when you look to the <laughs> comments you know and it just shows you how far we've come in a lot of ways so in the image uh, it's very bright and vibrant and we see I'm gonna have to make some assumptions two black men uh, embracing kissing um, very vibrant clothing. One's wearing a bright yellow jacket and we can see this rainbow iconography kind of go down the sleeve and on the trim of the other person's clothing. And then there's also some dot work as well, which um, I guess for me viewing it, I see this, um, I see the, the queer and the indigenous being represented in, in the trim of um of the garments and then interestingly i know dylan incorporates a lot of um, native flowers into his work um, to look at these they almost look like they've been stamped mm -hmm. on would dylan have had a technique for capturing or scanning some of this and then incorporating in or will this have all been done you know by hand on a tablet well, he, he paints entirely by hand and and something i love about dylan's work and once you've seen his illustrations in, in person, there is an extraordinary gesture and a materiality to his painting style that somehow manages to translate even into the digital. Mm. You still get a sense of the artist's hand. You get a sense of every brushstroke in the hair. Note the way he has absolutely brought you 
deep and close into the subject matter. The use of tone on the on the neck and on the on the bomber jacket, and then they're sort of silhouetted in front of this beautiful large moon, mm. and you just get this amazing sense of painterly nature, um, which is very hard to do, uh, let alone digitally. Shall we? Is there another one we're looking yeah, at here? Yeah, absolutely. This one's stunning, isn't it? This is one of my, I mean, I, I just said curators aren't allowed <laughs> to have favorites, and I think I've already said it twice now. But this is one of my favorite works in the, in the show, and this beautiful portrait titled Stuck on You, it captures, we were talking about it earlier, you know, love in its many forms, it doesn't have to be overt or, or sexual or, obvious it can be tender and quiet and you know we've got beautiful works in the exhibition and thinking you know, David Hockney's amazing digital drawing of just two bathrobes on the back of his bathroom door mm. and you know capturing the mundane love that we have that we all have or that many of us know and in this portrait two boys just gently hugging um it's a it's very beautiful for a lot of people Aboriginal men and what it means to be an Aboriginal man is not immediately something that they have seen, you know, they've not seen artists or people talk about this kind of sexiness, this homoeroticness, um, this eroticism. And you get that through Dylan's work, but it's very tender and it's very gentle and there's incredible, um, incredible beauty and strength um, mm. in this young black queer love. Mm. And... Um these, these two guys in this picture as well have got the Aboriginal flag on the sleeve of the bomber jacket with some um, traditional designs, as well as, you know, the rainbow um, detailing, the rainbow sort of ribbing of the bomber jacket, if you will. And there's something about Dylan's ability to tell this story in this picture, in this way, creates um, a fiction that is better than truth. It's just lovely on the eyes. Mm. And I mean, we like so many young Indigenous queer people haven't seen, you know, any kind of example of what we look like mm. shared widely in the media and, you know, what young queer black Indigenous love looks like. And Dylan has managed to in a very short space of time like i said i think it's 400 million people on the instagram has managed to take this experience and share it with the whole world and and that is just the power of that yeah what, what is the tell me about the power of that visibility like what does to, to for young and you know what not just young black men mm. but everybody mm. being able to see queerness and and culture and tradition and love and blackness mm. all portrayed in this way i think it it just heals the world a little bit it, it it does and i think there has been a kind of popular misconception that aboriginal communities aren't safe spaces for queer people or that you know young aboriginal men have to live and look and be a certain way and Dylan kind of not only does he smash that stereotype 
but he also invites us into his world. And there's an extraordinary generosity in that, mm. I think, as well, which is very, um, we're very lucky to have artists like this. Mm. Love it. It's so interesting uh, in each of these conversations with the curators, I feel a different way at the end of each chat. And this one, I feel all warm and fuzzy. And I guess that's love. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for um, sharing all of this beautiful art with me today, Miles. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure too. Thank you. And I can't wait for people to come and see it all in real life because, like you said, seeing those Dylan, those prints of Dylan's in real life is it's very different seeing them on Instagram. Um, and now I'm excited to have a chat with the artist himself, Dylan Mooney. I'm very excited to be chatting to you today, Dylan. I've been following you on the Instagram for ages, looking at your beautiful art, um, and it's lovely to be here chatting to you. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Courtney, and um, it's great to, I guess, finally chat with you. Not in person, but yeah. <laughs> Digitally. Um, so I obviously became familiar with your art by following you on Instagram. And I just saw these big, bold, colourful pieces of art that so beautifully expressed um, queer and black joy uh, through art, which I think was something pretty, um, like it took me by... Uh, not surprised, but it was something that made me pause because it isn't something that we see that often. Um, how did you come to a place where you, you really wanted to make that the focus of um, of some of your art? For me, it was just experimenting with my artwork and I guess being more confident within myself to, I guess, convey who I am, um, you know, as a queer Indigenous person, I guess, and drawing inspiration um, I guess, from my friends and my community as well, where I grew up. I mean, I've seen a lot of your work being celebrated um, online in different roundups of young queer artists and young black artists and celebrated um, in different ways. I mean, obviously it'll be on display in the, the NGV's queer exhibition, which is exciting. Um, how has that sort of success around your art uh, informed what you do? How did that success sort of first start coming, I guess? Um, I think it's when I first got into my digital work, like that's when it first started for me, I guess, you know, that's, that social media presence as well. I guess with my digital work, I'm exploring more of my identity than I was with my traditional drawings on paper. Mm -hmm. I guess just evolving and delving more into who I am. Well, I hope to think that it helps people in their journey as well and what they're going through. Mm. And the subjects in your photos, in your art rather, are they um, sort of fictional characters or are they representative of you or people that you know? Um, so these characters are, are, are based off myself <laughs> and um, I guess people that I look up to as well. Um, so I, um, these works are like a, an amalgamation of, um, I guess, the communities that I look up to and, yeah. So in a lot of your works, we also see beautiful um, Australian flowers like grevilleas and wattles. How did you get into drawing pictures of our beautiful flora? Yeah, um, so Carol McGregor was um, one of the very first Indigenous artists who really got me into plants. Um, she was, I guess, my teacher through university and my studies. 
Um, you know, she really taught me, I guess, the meaning behind plants and what are their uses for Indigenous people and uh, how they are still providing for us um, in today's society as well. So, um, yeah, that's where my, I guess, love for plants come from. It's so lovely to see it celebrated in art. On the um, the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, you did the art for the uh, 200 Greatest Australian Albums mm-hmm. of all time, which features a lot of native flowers. What does getting a call from someone like Rolling Stone to commission to do a cover mean? I, I think, yeah, it means a lot. Um, and uh, especially being the first Indigenous person to design, you know, a Rolling Stone cover as well. Um, that was pretty meaningful. Hmm. Um, you know, and hopefully that opens the, the door for more Indigenous people as well. But yeah, it was pretty special. Yeah. Um, yeah, getting, you know, the email. There's this interesting conversation around visibility and diversity. They're like big buzzwords at the moment. Um, I was in the US um, last year when the George Floyd protests were happening and mm-hmm. I saw um, how that sent... Um, you know, a message around the world, really, and especially here to Australia, a focus on um, black lives and lots of really important topics with regards to incarceration and deaths in custody and uh, youth and suicide and all of these very heavy but very important um, topics that um, First Nations Australians in particular and, you know, people of colour in Australia in general um, deal with every day. And um there's that double-edged sword i guess when these topics come to public light that um there can be like a performative wokeness where people want to jump on board and celebrate Mm -hmm. and platform and do you think that like it's better than the invisibility and better than sort of um what was happening before um well well when i am approached I guess, by organizations and companies to do work. I, I ask myself questions first and um, to see, is it good? You know, is it worth doing this? Um, you know, I think about, will this, how will this help me? How will this help my community? And, um, you know, I even, I guess, reach out to other indigenous artists, you know, to get their opinion as well. I guess, you know, these opportunities are good, but I don't want to, um, you know, um, sell out sort of. Yeah, thing. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. You know, I guess I don't really care about, I guess, the visibility for me. It's just, am I doing the right thing by my community, mm. by my audience? Yeah. Yeah. Whereabouts do you like to focus your energy in particular when it comes to, um, your sort of advocacy and activism? Is it, is it in like young, queer, black, um, voices and spaces? I guess it's a, a wide range, you know, just, I guess, doing work about, you know, yeah, identity, um, culture, um, I guess, and the, the th- things that are happening around us as well, like, you know, climate change, um, I guess, yeah, we're connected, I guess, through all of that. So, um, you know, just showing that, you know, resilience. And how are you talking about climate change in your art? How's that depicted? So I'm currently, um, so I, I'm an artist for uh, this campaign that's happening within the Torres Straits at the moment. It's called Our Islands, Our Homes. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm, I'm creating the artworks for the campaign and the merchandise to help, I guess, you know, you know spread more awareness for my people. Um, and hopefully this campaign, you know, gains more traction and to let 
um, the Australian government know that we are still here. You know, we are still fighting for our culture and traditions. And I guess that climate change is a, a really real and significant threat, mm-hmm. um, not just for Australia at large, but especially uh, many of the island communities, the Pacific Islands, um, whether it be the temperature increases, the, the, the sea temperature rising, the sea level rising. I mean, we know that many of these um, communities in the Pacific Islands will literally be underwater if mm-hmm. we don't take more immediate and drastic action when it comes to climate change. Um, so I guess that must be such a, it's just such an important message that like, it, it's like, is anyone listening? Are you people <laughs> up there in power listening to, to, this isn't some sort of like imaginary threat. This doesn't just affect, I mean, it does extremely affect, you know, Pacific Island nations, but it also affects every single person on this planet. And particularly Mm -hmm. in Australia, we're going to be one of the first, um, you know, inverted commas, Western nations in the world who feels the impacts of things like 50 degree days, where we can't go outside between midday and three o'clock because it will just Mm -hmm. simply be too hot. We're going to have to restructure our whole (laughs) lives as we know it in the future because we're failing to do as much as we can about it now. Mm -hmm. I see here you um, you created uh, a Google Doodle to celebrate Auntie Pearl Gibbs' mm-hmm. uh, 120th birthday. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it, that's got to be a, a lovely feeling. Like, I mean, I think I think the feeling of your art is probably more important, and things like Google is is, but it's it's a nice affirmation um, yeah. of the work that you create, right? Mm-hmm. I guess, and the, the stories behind the works as well, you know, that was pretty, um, you know, special to do. Um, what is the story behind that work? Um, so this, yeah, this celebrates, you know, Auntie Pearl Gibbs and what she did with, you know, women and children. She helped um, a lot of Indigenous women and children um, down in um, Sydney. And she was one of the first people that um, created the, oh, that protested, the, um, you know, down in Sydney at the first. The 1938 um, day of mourning? Yeah. I'm reading this from your Instagram, by the way. I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's imp- and it's important to sort of celebrate those heroes, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you've done some superhero sort of inspired characters. Tell me about those and, and what your inspiration is for those. Yeah, um, so those characters are, I guess, um, based off people um, who I think, you know, are my role models, are my heroes and... Um, you know, I really love watching Marvel and DC, mm-hmm. um, you know, movies as well. So, um, yeah, big, you know, big, um, you know, superhero fan. <laughs> so. I saw in uh, Eternals, the recent Marvel film, they had their first, I think it was their first queer kiss and it was a queer black mm-hmm. kiss uh, between one of the superheroes and, and their lovers, which was a fun moment. What are your favourite um, superhero films and characters? Um, I like Black Panther mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, Spider-Man as well. Black Panther was uh, was one of those moments, I think, in in pop culture where for the, for the longest time, like, stories are resisted, whether it be queer stories or black stories, and then when they're finally embraced in such a way... I don't think it was necessarily shocking to um, 
the audience that it would be received so well, but it's fascinating that like production companies take so long to, to tell these stories. Um, mm. What was your takeaway from Black Panther? You know, I, th- I thought it was, I guess, awesome, you know, just seeing a black casting, you know, um, being depicted as, he- you know, heroes and, you know, that strength and resilience behind their people as well. Um, you know, that was pretty um, inspirational for me. It's one of those things I don't think people, especially people who are maybe outside the margins, people who are in the mainstream don't always realise, right, is that the way um, media portrays uh, marginalised stories is so important, not just to how we Mm -hmm. see ourselves but how the world sees us as well. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, you know, I mean, most Disney villains have a, a little bit of a sibilant s and a and a queer sort of skew to them, like Scar and the Lion King, and yeah. um, and the way you know people of color are traditionally portrayed in um, in film and media can be so problematic, and we're just so used to it. Or the way trans representation happens, um, you know, traditionally in in film and television. And uh, there's a great documentary on Netflix called Disclosure, um, which is about trans visibility in film and television Mm -hmm. and they talk about how most people don't know a trans person and the place that they um get their information if you will about trans folk is is through the tv shows that they see and for the longest time that was often only depicted as you know a trans sex worker turning up dead on csi miami um Mm. and how that informs uh the trans experience in the minds of the mainstream um and in Australia, I think, you know, we, we, we're seeing some amazing stories being told um, now, but obviously there's still a long way to go. Are there Australian stories, be film or media or any other artists who have inspired you and made you think, oh, yeah, this is what I want to centre in my work? I think, yeah, there's a, a few, like um, Tony Alberts uh, oh, was a pretty big one. Mm-hmm within my studies through university, you know, um, he was a pretty big artist, you know, that I thought, you know, oh, that's the kind of work or the stories behind his work that I want to um, convey as well. Tell me about their work and what it was about it. Um, So Tony's work, he collects what he calls Aboriginalia. Mm -hmm. So it's like souvenirs, you know, like ashtrays and tea towels and fabrics with Indigenous designs, but not not um, authentic indigenous designs mm-hmm. and um, he puts that into his work so um, like his new work he just did um, in conversation with Margaret Preston you know he created these large-scale works of plants that were um, derived from Mar- Margaret's um, work that she um, I guess appropriated from indigenous culture mm-hmm. yeah so Tony like pretty much like flipping the story and and so was was Tony's work something that you saw, um, you said, when you, you started studying when you were in university and it, it planted that seed in you that you were like, this is something that I want to do or? Um, yeah, it was, I guess, the, the stories behind the work mm-hmm. um, made that really inspired me. And, yes, yeah, it was something that, you know, the stories that I would, I want to tell and hopefully I can, I don't know if I'm doing it now, <laughs> Um, but, you know, hopefully one day I can, I guess, get to that point, you know, um, 
where I'm creating, I guess, better works and I guess better visibility for my community. Yeah. I think you're definitely telling those stories now in your work. And I think that's the interesting thing is that like just the work itself is the message. And then I guess an interesting world, um, and I guess you go right, right back to the, you know, oldest continuous culture on earth to something like the art world and non-fungible tokens, NFTs. Have you ever thought about uh, taking your work even further into the digital age with blockchain technology? Well, actually, yeah, I have. Um, um, this company has turned four of my works into NFTs. So I think uh -huh. that launches next week. Yeah, Ooh. so that was, <laughs> I still can't get my head around it. Yeah. I actually, I don't, I don't know what happened yesterday. I was looking on Instagram at some like NFT Instagram pages. And last night my dreams were absolutely, they, <laughs> they sound a bit, bit weird, but my dreams were in the metaverse. <laughs> and I was like, it was almost like I was in like a Sims or like Warcraft world. And um, I, I was, I was, cause I was talking yesterday, I was having drinks with friends and I was talking about, um, I don't quite understand how it all works either, but this idea of, I'm like, well, I want to make sure that I have my Courtney Act avatar that I own to represent me in the metaverse when yeah. I'm walking around. I don't want somebody else having a Courtney Act avatar in the metaverse. And what do I, how do I look and how am I represented? <laughs> and so my dreams will often be sort of like a, a stitch together of the things that I've talked about in the day, but it was a quite stressful sort of like dream about like, drag queen nfts and <laughs> whatever the metaverse is but whereabouts can people find these nfts of your work because this is this is the time to like drum up that demand <laughs> um i think it's called um culture vault yeah um it's on instagram and um yeah and they the website launches next week yeah at the end of the month so um We'll be out by the time uh, this podcast comes out, I guess. So yeah. So um. But yeah, I'll share the links and everything on my social media when it, when they do come out. Yeah. Well, Dylan, it's been a delight talking to you today. I'm excited for people to see your work in real life. I mean, wherever they can around the country, but obviously mm -hmm. at the National Gallery and the queer exhibition. And um, I just really want to thank you for a the beautiful work that you do. And B, for um, giving us your time today to have this chat. Yeah. Thank you, Courtney. And um, yeah, it's been really awesome chatting with you today as well. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast series. I certainly have. Do come along to the NGV and see this wonderful exhibition. It's on display from the 10th of March through to the 21st of August 2022 here in Melbourne. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Courtney Act. 